I've been quite surprised recently by my contact with the galleries, how passive they were. I mean, they're just sitting on their hands, hoping that the sun will come back like if it was uh, a big rain, uh, a big storm. And okay, if things will go back like before, no, they will not go back. So you need to adapt yourself now. Hi, I'm Pierre de Montesquieu, and this is Art Goes On, a podcast where people from the art world share their vision of our society and how they keep the art world running. This podcast is interactive. You can ask questions to upcoming guests through our Instagram account at ourchoices.art. This is O-U-R-C-H-O-I-C-E-S dot A-R-T. Please follow us to be updated. Now, on to today's show. Hi, everyone. A little disclaimer here because the connection was bad during the talk and the sound is not as good as it should be. I apologize for that, but stay with us for this insightful talk. Thank you. I have the pleasure to receive Alain Servet today. Alain is a collector with a background in banking and finance, but he defines himself as an art custodian. He is also a very active reader and a commentator of the art world. Hi Alain, thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. So how art is going for you? I started uh, missing uh, art in real. Um, it's, uh, it's been two months since uh, I left New York. I was at the Armory. So I would say that my chances of having had COVID at one point is pretty high, but I don't know. So I didn't suffer from it. And yes, of course, it's a lot of thinking about what um, the future will be. It starts from, from the real life. How are we going to emerge from this? Are we going to... How will be the, our life after the, uh, the lockdown? How will the economy be? Uh, and by translation, what, um, what art will be? So a lot of thinking. And to come back, you go back to the kind of the essence um, of, of what is art. Because you see all kind of uh, form of art. Um, you see art starting up with investments at cheap prices for the long term and so on, some kind of speculation. You see, you see a platform like called Singularts that has been raising $10,000 uh, yesterday. And you look at the art that it is and you don't recognize it as art. Anyway, I don't recognize it as art, despite the fact it's called art. So you have to go back and define what is it that you consider art. Um, and for me, it's clearer and clearer that um, it is the kind of art that um, helps you to get out of uh, Plato's cave. If you remember the allegory of the cave of Plato, I think it's very important. So it's any form of art which um, brings you to a um, higher level of awareness um, about your environment, about yourself, about the society we're living in. That's the kind of arts um, I'm definitely interested in. Uh, second thing is that I also realized that art for me needs to be um, experienced in real. Um, I'm not even trying to look at any viewing rooms or any online presentation on, or in, in any form it is. And for the rest, um, uh, speaking to quite a few gallerists uh, that I respect, listening to them, what, what's happening, uh, what their view is for the future, what they hear, what they feel, and acquiring some works. Um, I, I worked out four work over the, the last two months because it's important to keep supporting um, the ecosystem. 
And how do you currently acquire new works if you don't look at viewing rooms? It works, works that I have had experienced in real uh, before that I knew. So it was easier or artists I know very well. Um, so yes, it works that I, I kind of knew uh, in advance. You are a defender of what we could call alternative forms of art, like digital art. Could you tell us more about this aspect of your collection? Sure. Um, first of all, you've got to describe a little bit why, why I find I consider digital art important. I, I have no background of, um, of art history in my family. There was never collectors before me. No involvement in art, not even culture. Nothing in my um, CV, in my biography, um, brought me to art in any way. So I, I remember how I went and the process uh, I went through to, to, uh, to get to art. And because I remember, to go back to the first thing, um, I went to the dictionary. When I got interested in art, I looked at the dictionary, what is art? <laughs> And I was extremely frustrated, uh, but it was the beginning of that interesting frustration uh, that art is bringing. That art was anything that was described as art by an artist. So I said, wow, that's really helpful. The same way, um, if I was looking at uh, what the art that was shown and preserved in museum and important, I realized that this art uh, because I'm also a fan of history in many of its form, I realized that almost without exception, the art that was preserved in museum was linked to important social, economical, political developments that happened at the time. I'll give a few examples very quickly. You know, impressionist, of course, you can think that impressionism is um, um, someone saying, okay, I will give my impression of a rising sun of Monet in London in many ways. No, it is also it is the, the result of a long process started with the um, Industrial Revolution. What the Industrial Revolution did is to break the old order. Uh, the old order was the one from the economical order, the, um, the, the nobility. You had either to be noble or to own land, be anyone in society or to be part of the church. So suddenly it was broken up and the academy system collapsed. It took a lot of time to collapse because you remember Impressionist studied in the Salon des Refusés. But so it's into it. It's also linked to, um, to technology because painting outside in plights was also something impossible before um, the painting tube. And the painting tube started in the mid 19th century as well. And so allowed to paint outside, which was not possible before. So suddenly I, I said, okay, I need to look at today's world and wonder in 2200, what will be taught in the history books about the year 2000? What will be making this time unique? And it was pretty obvious to me that one subject would be um, the computer. The computer transforms society completely in every every element and, um, and dimensions. So I said, if I find artists that are actually creating art, because art is still the tool that I described earlier to increase awareness, to get you out of Plato's cave. So it needs to create uh, thinking, questioning. So it's not about doing 
something geeky because of course in digital art you can do painting with a, um, a digital palette like uh, David Hockney does it with his iPad but it's still painting in many ways so for me it's not nothing new than using a uh, computer as a tool so if you can create actual art with a um, computer I said wow there's a very good chance that this will be uh, important in the future and that's the question I ask myself every time I'm, I'm acquiring a work of art. I ask myself one simple question. Do I stand a chance that someone will want to look at this work in 30 years time? So it seems a pretty easy or difficult question. Then people say, yeah, but who are you to uh, pretend to have an answer to this question? Yeah, but I, I put all my knowledge, talent, and awareness in together to try to give an answer. And of course, I don't know if I'm going to be right or I'm going to be wrong. But that's probably what makes the difference between a, a good collector and a bad collector. So for me, digital art was definitely something. And I started collecting just over 15 or 20 years ago. If I had to, to identify another subject, definitely genders. Of course, we, we're talking about homosexuality for the last 70 years, but definitely in the mainstream culture, things have changed in the relationship between men and women very much in the last 20 years. Even in simple things like um, when you look at reality TVs, you see, you know, couple meetings. Until 20 years ago, it was always heterosexual. And suddenly you see a man meeting a man, a man meet a woman meeting a woman, a transgender, and so on and so on. So suddenly it went mainstream and it changed um, completely many of the relationships. So that's another one. And so many others, but that's, that's a little bit the, how I built the collection around those themes. And digital art was one of them, definitely. Just to give an idea of how disturbing it was, is that I bought a work by Sibren Bursteg at the Armory, probably in 2002 or something like this, or 2001. And I got delivered um, a little portable PC that I had to carry back home and uh, the software was uploaded on the PC. So it was quite a jump from buying a painting, which is a traditional way of, of uh, approaching art. So it is not about investment, but in terms of uh, historical relevance, I felt pretty confident that I was doing the right choice. So you're not making investments and try to anticipate the art market? The market is, is not telling the truth. It's not because someone is putting some value on something that is worth anything. One of my founding um, exhibition I once saw was um, an exhibition at Musée um, d'Orsay uh, in Paris. It was um, for probably 15 years ago, and it was based on the accounting of Durand Ruel, of the very famous uh, art dealers of the 19th century. And what was fascinating is that they were showing all kind of works that have been going through the gallery at a time. And there was one full room and for every, every work, there was a description of the work, but also the price at which it was sold at the time. And it was a, there was a full room of beautiful uh, landscape with a sunset on the lake with someone on a, in, a, in a little boat. Uh, and they sold like very expensively, uh, suddenly, a hundred times more than uh, the Gauguin that was selling at the time. Except that I never heard the name of that artist that painted that uh, landscape on the lake, but I know Gauguin. So I, I realized that the market 
is hardly ever right about uh, what is valuable or not. So, no, I, I, the fact that it's a market or not doesn't change anything. I'm not basing myself on, on the recognition market. You remember the question I'm asking myself is, do I stand a chance that someone will want to look at it in 30 years' time? It doesn't mean that uh, it will be valuable. It's interesting to see that digital art has got lately four or five major articles in the New York Times and in major publications because, of course, it's a natural environment. And it has been underrated and, and, and completely dismissed because people don't know what to do uh, with it in the terms of market. Because the same way as your computer, if you have a document, let's say that the first love letter you ever sent in a, in a Word document like 25 years ago, um, if you try to open it today, maybe your computer will tell you, ah, sorry, we cannot read this anymore because uh, the version of today is not supporting this kind of document anymore. Uh, the same with a, a movie or a picture. So the same way with digital art, because there is um, uh, uh, an industrial interest uh, of the technological obsolescence, as you know, of uh, improving and creating new product and new version and everything, it is difficult to maintain in many ways. So people don't understand that you're not buying a finished work of art like a painting, because supposedly a painting will last forever. Even if, again, we know that today we are seeing um, the fields uh, of uh, Van Gogh is not the way he painted them, because the yellow uh, became brown uh, today. So in the same way, what should we do? Restore it, maintain it? So it's another way of collecting from that point of view. And because of that, and because the galleries themselves don't understand really what they're selling with digital art, it's not moving in terms of markets, which is slowing down its development, of course. But it doesn't mean that it makes it uh, less important. So you're telling that the market is not telling the truth and that it is often wrong. To go back to your love for philosophy and Plato's cave, the art market is currently in introspection. Do you think it wasn't wise enough? Wise is a difficult word to, uh, to define, but um, for a market. The market is just meeting offer and demand. The market himself is never wise. Is the demand wise? Uh, because very often it's the demand which is uh, leading what's going on. It is one of the problems of the last 15 years in the art market is that there was a new influx of money from the 0.1%. Uh, described by, by Piketty, um, the, the result of the uh, income inequality that developed around the world for different many, many different reasons, uh, globalization being one of them. So that influx of money had very little connection. They didn't know much about art. They didn't understand what art is. So they collected in a way which was similar to what they were doing before, which was branding, try to, to Go for brands, which where they used to do it in the luxury industry. They were doing by herds, so they were going together by flock. You know, all of them wanting to do the same thing. Uh, you want the same bag, the same shoes, the same girlfriends or boyfriends. So the problem is that in the last 15 years, this new demand, which was overwhelming all the rest. And I remember uh, a gallerist a couple of years ago in Piax, he said, you know, it's really such a strange world today because suddenly I see a young guy, maybe 35 years old, obviously Middle Eastern, never heard of him, never came in contact with us. And suddenly he's entering the booth and we talked for him for 30 minutes and he bought five works for half a million uh, euro. 
So it's just that thing that is coming out of nowhere and very surprising. But the consequence of that is that this new money was leading the demands, which means it was also leading the offer because the offer is not independent. For an artist, it's either you create what the market wants, either you die. And that's the problem as well of the professionalization of the, of the artists from that point of view, is that very often the most successful were the ones that were able to offer what the market wants. And then suddenly it's got nothing to do with art anymore. It's just a market that you described. And because it's only a market, it's not a question of being wise, it's just of being what a market must be, meeting, offer, and demands. The question is, where is the art in this uh, context? And that's why I wrote an article pretty important in 2012 or 13, I don't remember. It was called um, Art in the Shadow of the Art Market Industrialization. You know, when you see galleries having 13, 14 galleries around the world, a, a full, it's a full business. They've got the PR, they've got the, even they are, they have the um, art historian writing the article in-house so that they don't have to go through the press and so on and so on and so on. I was asking myself, okay, how do we preserve art? The one that is not like today, the one that is important for tomorrow, that is talking about today in a way that today cannot understand. How do we preserve that? And that's the challenge uh, that the market is not has not been achieving with much success in the last five years. So yes, maybe one of the things we can hope with the post-confinement is that suddenly some of the speculation will go away. Uh, definitely a lot of the socialization that was coming with it uh, will disappear as well. So it could be that um, maybe people with condensorship will have more focus, will be more focused on by the galleries because very often galleries they, they don't have interest in wasting their time with people like me because you know, I know what I want. Uh, I'm pretty complicated and discerning in what I, what I want. So it's easier to explain abstract painting for five times the price that I will pay anyway. So maybe we can have a kind of a rebalancing. So in a way, the job of the gallery is mediation. To explain what is an artwork and establish a dialogue with the public and with collectors. How come some say that there is a gap to fill up between them? What is collector? What is galleries? There are many different collectors. There are a wide range of collectors from the pure speculator that could be speculating in wine or diamonds or fancy cars and the one that will uh, buy artists uh, from Montrouge and with no recognition and no validation and for the, the love of culture. The same way in the galleries, you've got galleries that are there for the money um, and they could sell washing machines or art would be the same principle. Or you have galleries like, uh, I remember a quote by uh, Stefania Bortolami, a very well-known gallerist from New York. And she said, you know, one of the reasons why I'm doing this job, which is not about making money because the art I'm defending has no chance of, uh, of getting uh, me money, is to be part of the um, creation of what art history of today will be. She wanted to be part of the discourse about what art history will be remembered as for today, tomorrow. And it, it helped me to understand, because sometimes I see galleries that are defending such difficult art and non-commercial that I say to myself, why the hell are I doing this? Because 
they will always starve. And then I see others that have no problem selling whatever the market wants. And they have no um, faith, no fidelity to any of their artists, and they will go with whatever sells the best and the most. So again, it's very difficult to speak about um, uh, general rules. There are many different. They tend to meet each other and to, to meet each other at uh, the good places. And that's what I think it will be. The future is that it will be a, quite a reduced art market and quite a reduced art world because quite a lot of money will go away from it. And also quite segmented because there will still be support for singular arts uh, and artists that are actually decorative. You know, a Mickey, pop art, abstract, uh, a naked woman, a naked boy, and whatever. And there will be still a market for speculation, how many slash into a Fontana, and how many lines in a Buren, and so on and so on. And then there will be the ones that are trying to preserve uh, the art which is representing our time. And that is what the art that will be in museums in 50 or 100, 100 years. In 2012, maybe it was in this article, you created the hashtag grow or go. Is it still relevant today? Will the small die because of this crisis? You know, grow or go came from a pure observation of uh, the art market as an industry. And that's what it is, a concentration, uh, economies of scale, um, and that's what I thought it would happen. And that, indeed, we created um, mega galleries around the world, and we know those mega dealers. Then we have the others um, that are necessary to, to animate the whole thing. Because the same way as in sports, you need Paris Saint-Germain, or you need Real Madrid and Barcelona, Tottenham, Chelsea, and so on. But if you don't have Lille uh, or Saint-Étienne or, uh, or Montpellier, have those clubs that are uh, nurturing uh, the young players or the young artists. And at the end of the day, um, there would be no Real Madrid and no Messi and uh, Neymar and others if there was not the whole range. So yes, we need a balanced ecosystem in many ways. So Grow and Go still exists. It is very encouraging what one of the beautiful things that we've seen because my my prediction is that the the art market will be much reduced with more connectorship less social action less um, social event like art fairs and there will be more collaboration and i'm very encouraged by uh, the initiative that is taken for example in paris uh, by perrotin who is generously offering uh, to 24 galleries in Paris to show the artists in this show for two weeks by trenches of six galleries. Greener has been knowing uh, his uh, website to um, 12 galleries at the, at the strike from London, uh, Los Angeles, New York, Paris and Brussels, as you know. Um, so this collaboration is a very interesting de development going into the understanding that we realize that the creation and the distribution, distribution means the display of arts, the creation and the distribution of arts is part of an ecosystem. And the same way as we could not have uh, the big shards in the sea if we don't have the tuna, and we could not have the tuna if we don't have the sardines, and we don't have the sardines if we don't have a plankton. 
and so on, of course, it's much more sophisticated than that. But if we don't have a balanced ecosystem and the plankton dies, in the end, um, the shark will die well. And artists, of course, they must be supported and find a way to, to display and distribute their arts and challenge their art because sometimes they need to be said, sorry, this is really bad. The first step are the nonprofits, whether they are artist-run spaces or whether they are non-pure nonprofit run by collectors, like it happens as well, or anything else, where the artist will have the chance to show for the first time. Third element are the galleries. Without the galleries, filter within the hundreds of thousands, there are maybe 40,000 artists in France only, but there are only maybe 70 galleries of quality. So the 70 galleries of quality are the ones that will do the filter. But they need also the, um, the museum and the institutions, which are independent from any market because the gallery is still to sell. So the institution does not need to sell. So the institution can just dip it and can make another choice than the one done by the galleries and bring attention to something that the galleries could have missed. The collectors have got a role to play uh, by acquiring the work, by defending, by supporting the institutions, by also sometimes providing some advice because very often the collectors are business people. And one of the big weaknesses of, uh, of the galleries and the museums are any sense of business. They're very, very bad with it. I've been quite surprised recently by my contact with the galleries, how passive they were. I mean, they're just sitting on their hands, hoping that the sun will come back like if it was uh, a big rain, uh, a big storm. And okay, if things will go back like before, no, they will not go back. So you need to adapt yourself now, not wait that the supposedly art fairs will come back and save you. They will not be there. You need to live in another world. So yes, uh, collectors, but also the art criticism and the press, because the art criticism and the press are able to bring attention to some development, some non-development and so on. So overall, you have a quite uh, a diverse ecosystem and the confinement remembers me and the grow and go and all this uh, remem remembers me that each of us has got something to play. But we have also to understand that we are all interdependent. So I need to support some galleries, but I need also to get some respect from some galleries. Because some galleries are, have got the bad habits of considering collectors are pure stupid checkbooks. And that's it. Uh, I sell them what they want, but you know, the, the way the transparency is very weak and the, the service is very often very poor and, and vice versa. I mean, the, the collectors must not go to the one that had the fancier dinner. Uh, you must go, I don't know, if you want to buy an artist that was represented by, let's say, high art in Belleville uh, and that moved now to Zwirner. Of course, you have more chance of having a dinner if you buy from Zwirner, but you should also take your responsibility and support rather high art, which is still representing the artist, rather than buy from Zwirner, who don't, probably doesn't need this uh, 30 or 40,000 euro that you're going to spend. So it's a, whole, it's a whole ecosystem, and I think we are all in these boats, and we need to support each other, otherwise the boat will, um, will sink. Thanks, Alain, for sharing your opinion with us. I just have a couple questions before we end the show, and one from our audience. Mr. Hamada wants to know what was the first and the last artwork you bought, and how did your taste, or the way you collect, evolved? So the first works I bought were photography by Nan Golding and photography by Andres Serrano. 
important to notice that I fell in love with them in museums. Museums were for me the start of my art adventure. I loved the, uh, the peace and the serenity that going in the museum and seeing the story of the people where, where it was giving me. So I said to myself, how can I reproduce a museum at home? And then I thought photography is a good medium because there are multiples. So I could actually go to Pompidou and see her works by Serrano or Dan Golding. And it was, in fact, I saw Nan Golding at the Whitney Museum in New York. And I said, okay, I can actually buy this same work that I saw in the museum and fell in love with, and I have it home. So that's one of the, um, the first works, and he started with uh, photography very much, uh, with that concept of, um, of music, which is still there. When I'm asking that question about uh, do I stand a chance or we want to look at it in 30 years' time, it's my opinion, the question that museums are asking themselves. Last work I bought were in the last couple of weeks, um, a work by Hector Zamora, a Mexican artist, uh, composed, uh, the work is composed of bricks going on the wall. Um, that's reflection of um, high art with low material, uh, but also that connection uh, between earth and, uh, and art. So I, I, I love this contrast and this um, concept. And I, I loved the artist also very, very long time. And it was eventually kind of, kind of an accident because he, he had a studio and a residency in uh, Portugal and he was about to go home. And he said, uh, okay, I've got those work in my studio in Portugal that I cannot, of course, bring back to Mexico because they are bricks. So um, the galleries were not willing to support him by helping him to sell them. So he offered them to me at the, at the gallery price because for him, it was the same return for him and the galleries were not involved. So uh, I bought the work from him. So what changed? Experience and self-confidence. Self-confidence is very important because it's about going to places where not everybody is going. This is what art is about and what, this is what good collecting is about. Going to places where not everyone will go. And it's the same way as when you are in the mountains and you see a slope when there's no traces of ski. You're always a bit more fearful about going there because you said, okay, if you see that 100 people went there, then you say, okay, I'm feeling more confident. So it's about building that confidence to go to places where nobody's uh, going. And in a way, going for artists that you believe in, uh, work that you believe in, when everybody tells you you're crazy. And it's quite a, a very rewarding uh, feeling to go there. And then, yeah, sometimes five years, 10 years, 15 years later, you are vindicated by whoever by this guy having a show at any foundation in France or, or um, Fondation Lafayette or something like this, and then eventually ending up at, at Pompidou. And then you said, okay, I'm not that bad. And let's, let's not forget that, yes, we admire the, the museum very often, but a lot of museums in the world have been based on private collection. You know, I'm remind, I was reminded by a collector from New York once when I was complimenting him for the amazing museum they had in New York, uh, Guggenheim, Whitney, um, MoMA. And he said, you know, all those guys are doing is waiting for guys like me to die. Because all those collections are built on private collection initially, and they're still accumulating works that are given to them uh, for tax purposes and so on. So private collectors have a role, an important role to play. Will your foundation survive you? 
I don't mind and I don't care. I have no intention of making it lasting longer. And I said to my daughters, 23 and 21 years old, that either they, they have pleasure in doing it, if they have pleasure in doing something else, they can sell it without any hard feeling from me because I would be dead anyway. So I will not come. I don't believe in afterlife. So I will not come to pound them at night if they sold the collection. So I have no problem with that. Art brought me a lot of things. It helped me to get out of the cave, the famous Plato's cave. And that's changed my life very much. So I'm very happy to have understood that there's two ways of living your life. is the way that you've been programmed to live or the life that you want to live by yourself. So I'm happy to probably have got closer to that second uh, alternative. Alain, thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing your love for art and your insights on the market. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Art Goes On. If you like what you heard, feel free to follow and share the show on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on YouTube. Leave a rating or review to help people find the show. Thanks again. Thank you.